0: Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. I'm Matt Waldman, Felix Sharp, joining me as always, representing Campus to Canton, which is just an excellent, excellent league type of, you know, site, information for Devi, information for rookies, information for, and then just being able to play a style of play where you basically start with a college team and an NFL team all in one. And your college players migrate over to the NFL. Um, so I'm gonna I'm getting started with this once I finish the RSP. I'm gonna do my first C to C draft. I mean go to campusdecanton.com to find out more. It's it's a really simple way to go um in terms of playing and really getting infinitely more knowledgeable about the players who are gonna be that pipeline to so what we're gonna be talking about tonight, you know, prospects. We're gonna call it the three by five show Felix, three three faves. Or, or basically three players that we think fit in five different categories. Um, but, you know, should be a lot of fun tonight.
1: Yeah, I mean, this. I've always loved this time of year. It used to be I spent this time of year um, kind of looking, going through my rookie analysis. But now it's it's going through each conference and each team and each college conference and, and seeing what I've missed, who the new players are. I mean, the thing that I love about football is, always been discovering talent, players who, you know, guys who might have it that just aren't be, being touted. Ramondre Stevenson was one of those guys. Jameson Williams, Anthony Richardson is one. And I knew that we would be talking about him. And so now I'm doing that process again right now. So I think, and I know people don't know these names, but Rashad DeBinion, who's uh, backing up uh, uh, Raheem Sanders at Arkansas, like a thick running back who does who takes contact well around the legs. He's going to eventually uh, replace uh, Raheem Sanders there. Uh, and then MJ Morris just has at NC State, a quarterback at MC State, has all the talent in the world, um, is in a quarterback battle there, like finding these names early and getting them onto my roster and talking about them so that, you know, three years from now, like we did with Jameer Gibbs, like we did with Jameer Gibbs, now the community is starting to talk, talk about. It. So it's kind of – it's it's like this Easter egg hunt. Every single year, because the players are changing over, and you just you get to all right. This player did this in this game. Let me go. Let me go find this game and see how what this player is doing on the field. Oh, okay. There's something that I love this time of year because we have the time to to do it. And I, one of the things that I'm seeing from afar, even though I haven't
0: played into the campus to Canton league yet, is just from us doing these podcasts and, and getting to listen to you talk about the players. Is I feel like you you get a sense too of learning about the process of really the difference between the hype that players get in college and who may actually have the goods and because there's a there's a bit of um you know there's college production that you're going to be able to benefit from and really and, and do do well with and so if you're playing you know kind of to win now I can see how maybe you still may fall some fantasy GMs may still fall for the hype on players who are ultra productive and they're like I can't wait till he gets to the NFL but then at the same time we may look at some players and and realize that okay there's a certain level of buzz that comes with production with big school with what kind of coverage he gets nationally and it may not be what people think it is I mean we're and we're going to actually talk about some players you know today we're going to talk about Like I said, the three by five, three of our favorites, three who've changed our minds, um, either good or bad. And it could be guys that said, oh, they've gotten a ton of buzz in school, but I'm just not feeling it for the NFL to the level of the buzz they're getting. Three people who you think are riskier than the buzz. um, Three that you think you're rooting for, but you might not have high expectations. And also players who you think are safe plays. You know, so, you, you know, for me, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be fun to hear what Felix has to say about, you know, who his three guys are. And we're going to each talk about each of those. We'll take them one at a time. You know, we'll just alternate, you know, and go through the list. So, um, you know, for the for the heck of it, let's go start from five and go to one, though. Let's go with like, you know, for if, if that's cool with you, Felix, just to kind of take it there. It's like, let's start with the safest guys. Who were... Who's your first safest prospect on your list?
1: Yeah, I I think I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm thinking about this from my Detroit Lions perspective, who has a, have a top pick, and so we're probably going defense there. And I like I like big long cor- cornerbacks. I'm sorry, it's not a, I know it's a fantasy show, but I'm thinking about who my guy's it's, are going to take.
0: It's a draft so, show. It's cool.
1: So Chris, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, Joey Porter from. I'm sorry. I, I'm only supposed to say one name, but I basically have three defensive guys here for guys that I feel are safe. Uh okay. Gens, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. Um, uh uh obviously Will Anderson from from Alabama, Joey Porter's son at Penn State, also a cornerback uh at, at Penn State and and Drew Sanders from Arkansas. Uh again, I, I, I apologize for throwing all of these name these names That's out okay. here, but but I, I do have two other safe players. But with these guys, with the two cornerbacks, I mean, Christian Gonzalez is six foot one. He's so fluid in his hips. Um, is a good he can he can play the ball, but at the cornerback position, you have to be able to be looking one way over your shoulder and then turn the other way and look over your shoulder. And that is not easy to do, especially when you're a Bigger cornerback and six foot one is definitely big for for a corner, Uh, and he has it. I mean, if we got him at six, I would be ecstatic. If I I think people know Will Anderson's name, just have him put his hand in the dirt and run him uh, towards the quarterback. I would love to pair him with Aiden Hutchinson, Um, and then and then Porter's the same way can line up at the. Uh, line of scrimmage and play press man. He's he's better than Christian Gonzalez. He's 6'2". Not as fluid of an athlete as Christian Gonzalez, but still, I don't know if that matters if you are roughing up, you know, the flank wide receiver and preventing them from getting off the line of scrimmage. You can play physically. Uh, so I like him. And then Drew Sanders was a five-star athlete. He played, you know, tight end or offense uh, somewhere at Alabama, ends up transferring to... uh arkansas and just has a really really good season so i'm sorry they're, they're all i'm putting i'm counting these defensive guys as one, one player and and guys that i could see some guys that i could see my lines taking either at six or or with the second first round pick at 18 so um I, I, man i would i can't tell you how much i would love to see will anderson paired with with Aiden Hutchinson, though.
0: yeah that would be pretty awesome i'm sure you know um uh, you know, I'm I'm just gonna stick with one, but in, instead of the we've done the we've done the Hydra cornerback with three heads. This is the safest one. Um, but I love all those three. That's a great. You, you know, I love hearing about all three of those guys. Plus, you know, Will Anderson. When you think about that, but uh, you know, for me, I'm I'm just gonna go with a a position that's generally risky to say it's a that it's safe. Um, but that's quarterback, and I'm gonna say C.J. Stroud. I think that C.J. Stroud is the safest quarterback in this draft class. Um, part of it is that he takes more of a what I would call a task-oriented baker's mentality, um, as opposed to say the on-the-spot creative mentality of a of a chef. You know, he's kind of more like let's let's stick to what the scheme asks us to do. I know that you know against Georgia, that kind of showed a little bit more of the creativity off structure that that people didn't feel like he always could show or maybe didn't get to show against uh, an on-brand kind of team. And for, you know, the Big Ten people always who are who are making these statements, they look at the Big Ten and say it's a slow conference. It's not, but they will say that. So when when he creates against Wisconsin, it's different than creating against Georgia because everybody thinks of the SEC as being fast. So the fact that he could do that, I think, helped him out from perception standpoint. But I think he has a – he actually has a little bit more of a risk averse mentality to a fault in certain areas of the field if you ask me such as the red zone um but i think that overall he displays accuracy with pretty much every type of throw you'd want to see he's good from the pocket um I, you know i think overall he does read coverage pretty well um and he's only going to get better at it and while he's not a creator um i've never really cared much about the Oh, the running back the running quarterback is the thing of the future. To me, it's like, yeah, it's the thing of the future if you exploit it, but at the end of the day, you still have to win in the pocket um to, to win in the NFL. The other stuff may help you have an advantage, but the best quarter the best quarterbacks who can win outside the pocket also win inside the pocket. So CJ Stroud, Stroud to me may not be the best quarterback in this class. He may be. I don't think I wouldn't make an argument against it, but I think he's um, I think he's the safest.
1: I I I couldn't agree. He was my number one quarterback last last year uh, over Bryce Young. It's just because Bryce Young's play style is more akin to Kyler Murray. Like I think that uh, C.J. Stroud does the routine things routinely, and I just I like a quarterback that just keeps me ahead of the change. Who's kind of vanilla. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a high ceiling, but you know he's a a throwback of sorts and i i just i could not i really couldn't agree i couldn't agree i couldn't agree with you more
0: well it's funny that you say that and, you know one of the things that's funny is i mean nfl coaches expect players to make the best players make the easy plays you know they don't make mistakes with the plays that they should make and so the you know cj stroud's gonna do that he's gonna evolve into a quarterback that you're going to, have to, you're going to have to play him a certain way to beat him. I'd much rather have that than, say, Zach Wilson, who was a guy who maybe he could do the things that off-structure to beat you, but he couldn't make the plays that you're supposed to make. And, that's, and you don't want a guy who's consistently getting you into second and 13, third and 17, um, and I don't think Stroud's going to be that guy. So who's your second guy?
1: I feel like we're going to disagree on this based on what I've heard you say about this player, but it's Michael Mayer. Look Michael, at Mayer is uh, Michael Mayer is 250 pounds. I don't, he does not move that way. I've heard, uh, not you, but I've heard the community talk about how slow he is, how slow he moves. I think that he changes direction laterally very well. I think he has very strong hands. If I was a 60 or cornerback that had to come up and pull this, I wouldn't want to do it. Um, and, and like as a route runner, I think he understands facing off coverage. I think that he understands leverage and making a, a linebacker or a nickel corner lean the wrong way. And he, he can stick his foot in the ground and get that cut. And, you know, he's going to be just, I think he's going to be just as good in the red zone as somebody like Darnell Washington, who's probably got three or four inches on him and and maybe 20 or 25 pounds. Um, And and that seems I guess that seems to be a hot take because I guess people think Michael Mayer is just not athletic enough to be you know a fantasy relevant tight end. I think this is a really good safe prospect who can do everything. And I I his top end speed I think people are just I don't know what the problem is with that. I think this is a really good player, very very safe, and I think he's going to go in the top twenty in the NFL draft.
0: I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I where I would say that I don't where I'll put it this way. I was hiring Michael Mayer probably from a unstudied point of view until I got a chance to study him. And then after studying him, I thought, okay, he's a good football player, a good tight end who will be productive in the league. Um, But he's not, you know, to me, like he's, he's not the matchup problem split out wide against cornerbacks but there are only maybe three to five players in the NFL who play tight end who can be so you know at the same time he's great like you said he's great in zone I agree with you his short area quickness is very good he's going to make the first man miss he's great at posting up at people he's going to get open in in zone he's going to get open in man-to-man in the red zone, which is where he needs to get open against man-to-man, so yeah, he's going to be productive. I don't have any problem with that at all. He was he was on my short list of to cut down as saying he's one of the safest guys. Now, if you're expecting him to be Gronkowski, Kelsey, um, um, Darren Waller, you, you know, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Um, because those guys can win one-on-one man-to-man against even a primary defender. Um, So I don't think he's quite there, but like we've talked about, if you're looking for a guy who can be top five, you know, in the five to seven range of fantasy, probably for a good bit of his peak um, years, that's still a very, that's an excellent pick. He would be, he would be the top, tight end in a lot of classes even if you don't have him as your top tight end in this class. Um, I think he would be, just at least for me and the way I have him scored there's at least there's at least two, or I think two out of the past four classes, he would have been either number one or number two overall even if he's not there on my board right now. So he's, you know I'll say that he's one of my guys since I've already talked about him enough that changed my mind. And I would say he changed my mind for the worst, but to say for the worst is more like saying, um, you know, I was really hoping to, I was really hoping to get, you know, 10 shrimp on my plate, and I only got nine on my plate. And, and you know, but they gave me an extra hush puppy. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's not that big of a down, let down. You know, in terms of who he is, it's just that, you know, if you were valuing him to be that anchor who could potentially be an elite producer, he's going to need to find the perfect fit for that to happen, and I'd be skeptical even then.
1: the The other thing I like about his game is his ability to catch the ball, Um, even if he doesn't create separation down the field, he has very good concentration. Yes you know to 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 wrap his hands around a corner who's playing man and has the, the, the or a defender that has his face turned towards him and reaching around that player to grab the football um and so maybe he doesn't maybe 15 yards down the field he doesn't create separation from that player but you can still throw that ball to him in the seam because he'll he'll make those catches so if you have if you have faith to throw to to a tight end that's covered in the middle of the field he can still make those grabs
0: if you're happy with pat fryermuth i don't see why you wouldn't be happy with michael Mayer. even if you wouldn't compare them one to one i think in terms of roles of what they do well um there will be some similarities there that will bear out numbers wise um you know say another safe player is going to be the guy that cj stroud has been thrown to i mean jackson smith and jigba I mean, to me, I think he's the safest wide receiver in this class. Might be might be one of the safest three players in this class if you're just looking at skill position prospects, if you ask me. I mean, he's on his way to becoming a really refined route runner against man-to-man and zone coverage. And I'm saying on his way because let's give him some room to acclimate to the pros. Um, but hes it's not going to take him very long, um, if if at all um i He has no problems tracking the football. I love the way that he sets defenders up how he reads coverage um the the quick the short area quickness and the short and the acceleration are fantastic um Do I think that he 's necessarily going to be featured as a deep threat on the outside still don't believe that, but he can win occasionally that way, and just like cooper cup you 're going to be able to use him in that type of fashion but to me the two players he reminds me of is a mix of if you took you know if you took peak Julian Edelman and peak Greg Jennings and put them together i think that's kind of the player you're going to get out of Smith and Jigba, um just because of the, um and Jigba can can do a little bit more on the outside i think he's a um i think he can do a little bit more downfield than what Edelman could do and on top of it though He's savvy, tough over the middle in terms of being a good route runner and being able to make plays, make people miss. Maybe not as physical as Edelman was, or as physical, maybe even as physical as Greg Jennings was, but he's he's closer to that, even in body type too, than what I would say Cooper Cup. And I also say that Cooper Cup was a is a better is a better tackle breaker um than Smith and Jigba, Greg Jennings or Julian Edelman um, in terms of what, they, what they're what they asked to do, the way he uses his hands and, and sets them up with his feet, I think was one of the calling cards of his game. So yeah, I'm a big fan.
1: You mentioned Greg Jennings. I'm obligated to say Kalamazoo Central stand-up. Went to the, played with his brother, Courtney, was my wide receiver. Uh, Greg graduated a couple of years before me, was on one of our last teams that uh, made the playoffs. So um, I, don't, I don't have a, a problem with that. Uh, with, with that comp at all. I, the thing about Jackson Smith and Jigba, though, is people have said that he's, you know, going to be taken in the first round, you know, a top 10 wide receiver. It's just from my observations, the NFL has not prioritized that skill set, you know, in the, the top few picks of the NFL draft, the players that you've gotten to, all the names that you said, Greg Jennings, Julian Edelman, uh, Cooper Cup. I'll take it after the the, the first round. it's so not only, but I I agree with you. I I agree with you. My gripe, I, I had some gripes with with people saying that Jackson Smith and Jigba is is you know going to be a top ten draft pick. I'm like, well, since when has the NFL done that for a wide receiver that is probably going to be a primary slot wide receiver? I just haven't seen it recently. But I, all that being said, I agree with you. Yeah. and and it may
0: happen just because now that. Now that the the worm has turned and teams should be now focusing more on tight ends and 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 the gap game and maybe shying away from slot receivers, well there's gonna be a team that's gonna be caught being the well, you know, we still wanna spread the ball out and we have a Cooper Cup like type of player that we could get. Would you if we had to do it all over again, would we draft Cooper Cup in the first round knowing what we know? And if there's a team that says yes to that, it's a possibility. But I agree with you that it's it's probably less likely. So so who is your third who's your third
1: safest guy? Number number one. And I don't think I, I've not heard you talk a lot about this player, but Jordan Addison, I think, can play all three wide receiver positions. He can play X, he can play slot, he can play flank. He's probably not going to be like an X right off the bat, but I think that he could be a field stretching flanker if you wanted to, Tim too, And if you want to do the short area quickness stuff in the slot, he can do that too. He's a player that makes plays down the field where, you know, so uh, I would I would compare him a little bit with Marvin Mims where I don't know Marvin Mims is also a slot wide receiver who kind of gets deep but I don't know that he can necessarily I just don't see him enough doing the um, the uh, the short area stuff whereas jo- I think Jordan Addison is safe how because he can play all three positions that's you know that's safety to me is is this is a player who has versatility to play all three positions I don't think that you know Quentin Johnston doesn't fit that mold in my opinion Jordan Addison does you know if you want to throw him screens or have him run whip routes or have him just run goes from outside the numbers you're lining up on the left hash put him outside the numbers and run goes along the right I think that he can do all of those things so I don't I don't you know he's not going to be I don't think that he's going to be an alpha wide receiver, but I think that his versatility makes him a very safe prospect uh and I'm trying to think of some a player that I would think of in the n f l right now who kind of does a little bit of everything, and i can't think of one off the top of my head but um but because of his because of his versatility, I think that Jordan Addison is pretty safe
0: I love that pick and and there's and there's two players that come to mind when I think of him in terms of his comparison spectrum one is a player who recently until you know he's had some injury issues and he's uh, you know didn't get to join a team until late last year hasn't has been kind of off the fantasy radar for a year year and a half is ty hilton i think he's very much a ty hilton type of player who started at you know started in the slot at fau i think it was fau that he came from um or fiu it was fiu where where hilton came from started in the slot And then, you know, when Reggie Wayne and Pierre Garçon, I think, were still there. And then he worked his way into an outside role, which nobody expected. But he was a tough outside receiver, a very good one, um, and didn't play the slot very often. So I think that if you look at Addison, I think he's very much capable of being on the upside, being that guy. And if he doesn't ever get there, the guy that I think a lot of people have overrated um, at least... For the past two years, in terms of what they expect from him, is Devonta Smith. I'm a I'm a fan of Devonta Smith, very much so. But I think Devonta Smith is one of those guys that I like to say is fans and media will call him a primary wide receiver, and then if when you watch his game, you could nitpick it to this to say he's a very good number two receiver who can't quite win against primary cornerbacks in the vertical game at the boundary without getting pinned to that boundary and getting out being up physical so he he'll give you wide receiver one numbers calvin Ridley um when uh, it, uh you know when you have a guy opposite him that can draw um a lot of coverage away or draw the primary man away from him enough that he doesn't have to be worn down by facing the top guy, play after play after play. And then he's kind of that kid who's like hangs out with the bully. And he's now da- more dangerous because the bully's standing next to him, and he can still inflict a lot of damage. But he, you know, if you get him alone, he's got some clear weaknesses that the bully may not have as many clear. So you know, to me, A.J. Brown's the bully, and so the, on the low end, Jordan Addison to me is what people should think T.Y. I mean should think Devonta Smith is, which is still a compliment to Smith's game. And yeah. on the high end, he could be T.Y. Hilton, which is Basically, I'm the only guy here that nobody thinks about me other than cornerbacks who lose sleep
1: at night that they do have to deal with me. And in fairness, there are not that many bullies in the NFL. So it's not a diss to say that, you know, Jordan Addison is not one of those guys and that yeah. Devonta Smith is not one of those guys.
0: No, no, those are, they're, they're you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're in the range of being in the top 12 to top 15 any to, any year with your production, you're a really good starting wide receiver in the league you just may not be that guy that you say he's a threat to be top five you know and you know there's usually eight to 12 guys who are a threat to be top five and then there's probably another you know 12 to you know another eight to 12 guys behind that who are threats to be top 15 or 10 to 15 in that range and i think that you know ridley and and uh smith are definitely one of those are are guys like that and addison might be too so, I'm since you used three for the first one, I'm using two for this one. I already had it here as two, so you weren't alone. I did. I had this all in mind too. You know how this goes, folks. You know how we are. So, so my I have two tight ends that I feel like are as far. You know, I'm tried. I'd tried not to pick super safe guys this time. After I had already gone with Stroud and Je- and Smith and Jigba, I mean those to me are like as safe as safe gets. But I think if we're going to look at tight ends in this class, just on the, you know, there's two ways to look at safe. If we're going to look at safe from a football point of view, Luke Schoonmacher to me is, or Schoonmacher, yeah. Luke Schoonmacher, I think is a very safe player. I mean, I think he's he's the best blocking tight end in this class. Um, I love how he uses his hands. He's great at delivering punches. He moves extraordinarily well. Um, and then when you look at his metrics, um, they're pretty darn good. And I and I watch him as a route runner. He can accelerate into his breaks. Um, he can deliver hard breaks, he can deliver speed breaks. Um, I and there's some promise of being able to do that, I think, in the intermediate game. The only thing I really didn't see out of him that was like super like that could be there with his game is I think Jim Harbaugh's system is set up in such a way that it hides what the player can oftentimes do as an athlete. Some of the guys, like at least in the receiving game. When we think of the the past couple of wide receivers, Edwards and um, Nico Collins, and them looking like they could have promised to have better careers statistically than what they did at Michigan and maybe even Ronnie Bell having a chance to be a little bit better too. I I think that's extends itself to a tight end like Schoenmacher who may not be, uh, or Schoonmacher. I don't, I don't, is it Schoonmaker, Schoenmacher or Schoenmacher? I don't know.
1: I mean, I should know that for a Michigan tight end. I just, I, I don't though. Yeah. Uh, I don't. So See,
0: Whatever you're saying. That's was, fine. Uh, we're going to say Schoenmacher. We'll do that. How about that? We'll, but, uh, but for him, for for him, he's, uh, I have a feeling he's going to win more one-on-one in the NFL when detached from the formation on occasion than people might expect. Um the thing is 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 he really going to be detached from the formation a lot as a guy who can really block in line pretty darn well if you ask me. So he's the he's on the one hand that safe like he may he may not be fantasy safe, but I think he'll be football safe. But I think there's some real fantasy upside to him. Um, I'm a big fan. And then the guy who I think he may not ever be a great blocker, but he'll be good enough. Um, and what he does as a what he does as a receiver, it's just it's Jimmy Graham like. That's Darnell Washington out of Georgia. I mean, when you watch those big mitts go up there and get a ball, and with his acceleration, which is just Freakishly good for someone who's six Um I, I'm good with, you know, he may clap on the ball a little bit here and there. He he has some little errors here and there. He's You're not going to ask him to pull and lead block because he doesn't have great short area quickness. But you're going to ask him to go up and get the ball at the sideline. You're going to ask him to go up the seam. You're going to have him run crossing routes where he's, you, you know, you're going to let him gather some momentum and use that acceleration downhill. And he's going to run through you, run over you, or just like make your arm look like a toll gate. And a, he's the 18 wheeler plowing through it. So I, I just think that for whatever length of time he's in the league and active and healthy, he's going to be
1: a starting tight end. Uh, darn well, Washington Imperial in my also, um, not, you know, not in this category.
0: This uh, so I don't know fun. if
1: you even want to, this is going to be, this is the thing. I mean, yes. So we also have a question about the prospects who you think are, are riskier than the buzz. I never realized that until, uh, I think Dane Brugler kind of released his name that Darnell Washington was considered to be, you know, this kind of elite talent at the tight end position, the kind of this tight end class being really, really deep. Um, He's a, he is a huge target for a quarterback. He's also a huge target for your safety or linebacker. You, you kind of talked about some of his um, needing to allow him the get up time. I think that's the difference between he and, and, um, and Michael Mayer, to be honest with you. I, I think he, if, if we are talking about you know him being relied upon in the red zone, I don't have a problem with that. But between the twenties I question whether whether or not he's going to be, you know, this dominant force along the uh the, the hashes because he, he's got he needs time to get there. This is kind of a, a guy who lumbers a little bit. So I could be I feel like we're disagreeing. you know, we are. We're disagreeing yeah. here. I think sure. that he is he is a riskier guy if Dane Bruegler's is right, wrong, he's gonna go in the back half of of the first round. Um just because he's he is not, in my opinion, he is not a, a fluid mover at the at the tight end position. If you want, if if we're going to, you know, the Lions had one of these guys. I'm not making this comparison, but the Lions had Joe Fourier, who we brought in uh, uh, in the red zone and, and threw it up to him. Nobody could compete with the guy who was six foot seven, a basketball player. Um, Joe Fourier probably John Washington probably has a hundred pounds on Joe Fourier, but. So I, you know, he just does, Washington doesn't move. He moves to me more like a left tackle, like he could be an yeah. elite left tackle than he than he does a, a fluid tight end. So, um, but once we get to the red zone, I have no problem throwing it up to
0: him. Yeah, and that's why I like. I think that's why I noted like if you're going to ask him to run routes like Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer, um, then forget it. Because yeah, I think the short area quickness is bad or not bad but not good for him but 4.08 20 shuttle and then going back to watch that um and go okay if you give him straight line routes with his height and that acceleration he's going to be in a winning position as long as he's matched up one-on-one and not you know where he doesn't you know he's playing either against off man or he's facing a much smaller defender where if he just runs through the guy, it won't matter that much, you know? So, but I, but it's going to be fun to see. I mean, and that's the fun part about this is because I get your points completely. And to me, he's, he's not my top 10 tight end in this class. Um, I don't want to say not remotely, but he is, but he's definitely, um, he is not in my top three, but I still think that he, I think that because of how he'll be used is why I think he'll be safe. Um, as a but you're right about he gets hit a lot, and I actually wrote that in my upcoming scouting report for the RSP. It'll be available April 1st. You can get it at 21 mountwaldman.com, where I actually talk about my biggest fear about him is that you don't see a lot of six seven guys playing tight end in the NFL, and you don't see a lot of them playing it for long. Now, Jimmy Graham did, and he was an exception to that rule, but there's more surface area to hit these guys with and when your back starts to be a problem and your legs start to be a problem and you're a big dude like that with a lot more surface area to hit um you know that could be prob- that could be an issue for long term health so even you know that's why i kind of say safe that when he's on the field he'll shine bright but that's the that's the thing like i'd If I were picking a tight end, I'd rather have have Schoonmacher, to be honest with you, if I were like going, I want an all-around tight end, or the guy to have a chance to be that unicorn that doesn't exist um, anymore by the name of Rob Gronkowski. Schoonmacher would be the next one to to be able to play a role that's somewhat close to that.
1: It must be a really strong tight end class.
0: Yeah, it is. Strong tight end class. It is. So... So who are you rooting for? But you have low expectations based on how the league is.
1: I feel like these are going to be guys that talk about low expectations. No, like no expectations. Do you want me to just go through all three or do one at a time? I can do all three. Let me hit all three of these guys really quickly. Okay. Um, Chris Smith, uh, running back from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. You know, I I had not realized that he had, declared for the NFL draft. This is a guy that I had really high expectations for. He backed up Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis, both of whom are, you know, NFL running backs and, and was and was flashing uh with even those guys in the backfield and was there was the team's starting kick returner. As a matter of fact, I think the first game of the of the shortened COVID-19 season was Iowa versus Louisiana, he had a big kick return in that game, and I'm like, I can't wait for this guy to become a starter. Um, And and then did, and then you know didn't produce like like I thought he would uh, from Louisville, Mississippi, I believe Louisville from Louisville, Mississippi uh, uh, has some good breakaways, some really good speed, um, some some slasher traits, but I don't have. I, I again, I can't believe he has another year of eligibility. I can't believe that he declared he has. So he is one. Um, A guy that I think is going to make it as a return man to start off is Nico Remigio from Fresno State. This is a pinball slot wide receiver who transferred from Cal Cal to Fresno State. He came on my radar because, you know, we're going to get to who our favorites are. Uh, There's going to be no question about who my favorites are in this class and i came across nico or uh watching watch staying up late to watch jay kaner um these small guys who who are kind of difficult tackles in college uh who have a lot of burst and speed they don't seem to make it uh you know like uh, isaiah mckenzie uh for for uh for uh, uh the buffalo bills they don't seem to make it as like traditional slot wide receivers at the NFL level, but they can do some gadget stuff. They can do some return stuff. So I really like Nico Remigio. And then the other one, and I've seen you talk about him. I don't know that he's a wide receiver. I think that he could potentially transition to some, like a move tight end role with CJ Washington from uh, East Carolina. Um, CJ Washington kind of burst onto the scene as a freshman. Johnson. CJ Washington, CJ Johnson, yes. CJ Johnson, excuse me. That's right. CJ, and I don't, I don't, I know, I think that he went to the combine. I don't remember what he weighed in, but this is a guy who's like 220 225, yeah. 225. Yes, 225 at wide receiver uh, and moves like a 225 pound wide receiver. But, you know, um, good football player, good athlete c- can catch the ball. Maybe he's not a wide receiver, but maybe he can move to tight end. So when we're talking about, you know, rooting for guys, um th- th- all of these guys are good football players and uh you know they're long they're definitely definitely long shots um to to make rosters uh but uh, th- these three are especially I think uh, of the three I think Remigio is probably could be a punt returner will be it could be go go on to the 53 man roster as a punt returner i kind of question whether these other two could make rosters but i'm i am rooting for it.
0: there you go That's funny um i CJ Johnson would probably be on my top 5 list if I did top 5 for that reason he uh he reminds I'm hoping he's a. am hoping his upside is a slightly better version of Noah Brown um, cuz Noah Brown's like 6'1, 62 6'1, 225 and kind of on the slow end but catches everything in sight and I think that actually Johnson has a more refined game than Brown did coming out of Ohio State um so I'm hoping but yeah, he's not on the list. I'm going to give you some safer guys, some guys who are probably have higher draft capital, at least two of them, but I just have low expectations based on how the NFL will view them. Um, my third guy is Parker Washington with Penn State. Um, I'm rooting for him um, because I the more I watched his game, the more I enjoyed how he catches the ball. I enjoyed yes. how he blocks. Yes. I enjoy how he runs with the football. He's just a yes. slower version of Heinz Ward, if you ask me. Maybe not as tough as Ward, but in that vein of like player. And and he always seems to find a way to get it done. But I just wonder if in today's NFL, if they go more, to, now he could block too, so that's the thing. I'm rooting for him because I'm hoping that if the NFL even starts to say we want more H-back types in our running game because we're being able to take these spread out defenses and pound it up the middle, that they might go with more tight ends or more multiple looks. And Parker Washington might be the odd man out. But I'm a, I'm a fan of what he does well. Um, the guy who was probably a later round pick at best is Jaleel McLaughlin out of Youngstown State, who I'm a big fan of. What he can do, he's a speedster. There's, I would just say, he's probably, maybe not quite as gifted as Philip Lindsay was between the tackles, but he's not that far away. And if he shows anything more of a receiving game than what Philip Lindsay couldn't show, he's good. He could carve a career out as possibly a um, Naim Hines type of player with better skills as a runner. If you ask me. Um, So I'm a fan of Jaleel McLaughlin. Just don't know how much of a fan the NFL is going to be of him. Especially after the Philip Lindsay experiment that we saw in recent years. And speaking of guys who fit into that realm too. Who I just love his game. But I just just have to see him prove that he can hold up in the NFL for a size as Deuce Vaughn. I I I'm such a deuce fawn fan um but he's not gonna block in the NFL he's a terrific receiver but here's the thing do you really want a five 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 six guy catching out routes are you really gonna have your quarterback target try and target him on Austin Eckler type of routes when he's like four inches shorter are you really? Are you really doing that? I don't know if teams are going to feel comfortable about that, especially if he's not going to break tackles in the NFL. And I have issues thinking that he's got to prove that too. So yes, we've had Lionel Little, Train James way back in the '70s, and we've had lots of players, Darren Sproles, and but Darren Sproles was bigger. You know, I mean, this is a, you know. Cohen was bigger, you know, the kid out of uh, North Carolina A&T, you know, with Tarek Cohen was bigger. So I just don't know if Vaughn's really going to have a role for a team that's commensurate with his pound for pound skills. So those are my, those are my three guys.
1: Uh, two years ago, I'd say that Penn State had their their top two wide receivers had the best hands in the country, and that was Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington. Both of the got both of those guys had ridiculous hands, um, and I you know I I, I love Parker Washington too. Uh, another guy who made his debut in that in that shortened COVID night. We're already three years removed from there from that COVID nineteen season. Um, I you know I agree with you on Deuce Vaughn, i, I a, a guy who uh, his C two C draft. Uh, Uh, projection where he was taken in in drafts was commensurate with, hey, this is a guy who's super productive, is going to score you 35 plus points a game on the college side, but what is he going to be uh, in the NFL? And we will be interesting to see, but I don't think we know the answer to that question yet. Yeah, he's, if
0: 15 years ago, I probably would have put him in my top five running backs just based on how I was grading. Now that I've had a lot more experience, he's not in my top twelve, and and I wish, but but based on ability, he is. But based on what I've learned to define skills for and how to define skills, he just couldn't make it there. Um, so, who are three players that you think are riskier than the buzz? Obviously, Darnell Washington was. Darnell Washington is one. Was yeah. one of them. Who are your other two?
1: I feel like there's a, a, well, I got the two others. I feel like there is a correct answer that the name has to be in here. And it's, it's Will Levis. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Will Levis, if, if your answer doesn't include Will Levis. I, so uh, we talked about um, CJ Stroud doing the routine things routinely. And Will Levis does not do the routine things routinely. So he can just miss a wide open uh, out route. Wide. As a matter of fact, you can go to Campus Kent YouTube page. You, Campus YouTube page right now. I did an All 22 a year ago on Will Levis. It's about 45 minutes. Um, we had it private, but I've re- we've released it publicly. But you know, there are there are plays in that All 22 where you know it's an out route. guy. nobody within 12 yards around him, and Will Levis throws it to him, and just skips the ball off the ground. There. There is there's a play there where he has a running back open who's run a, run a wheel up the scene. Nobody within seven yards run just – I mean, just – he does the, the worst thing that you could do is just overthrows and throws the ball straight to the safety. I think the safety um, uh, dropped the interception. But, you know, if I'm an NFL GM and I got to go home and talk to my wife and be like, hey, honey, we're going to – you know, we're going to be here – for a couple of years so you can start that, that foot club. I can't say that to her because I've drafted Will Levis because he does not he, he does not make the easy throws consistent consistently. Does he have all of the physical tools? Does he look good throwing in, in shorts and a t shirt? Absolutely. Does that ball that spin and whistle? Yes. But when you turn on the film, you know, there there are just throws that he misses that Jake Hayner's not going to miss, that Hendon Hooker's not going to miss, that CJ Stroud's not going to miss. And I think the quarterback position to me is more about down-to-down consistency than the the, the flash the flash plays that you can make occasionally. Uh, so so uh, yeah, Will I'm Levis with you. is number, is number
0: I'm, one on I'm, it. I'm with you with Willis, uh, with Will Levis for sure. Um, he... When you talk about that, actually part of it's rooted in his footwork, which is his, the back, the midline of your back foot should be like the rudder of a ship pointing in the direction of, or basically maybe not the rudder of the ship, but it should be pointed at the target, the midline of your back foot and your front toe should be also aligned with that pointed to the target. You're going to get, it it gives you both. Kind of the general accuracy and the pinpoint accuracy. The front toe to me is probably—I don't know if this is mechanically correct—but I've always seen it as if the front toe's on point with the back the, and the line of the back foot. The front toe's kind of the refined area of how you're throwing it. The 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 back foot is more of like the getting in the general area. When Will Levis throws the ball, his back foot can often be aligned in one direction and his front toe aligned in a completely different one and then he's trying to correct his feet as he's following through he's trying to snap it together now here's the thing that bothers me they they have a quarterback coach there who's been an NFL quarterback coach for a number of years who's been talking about Will Levis since before he came to Kentucky to anyone and everyone including listeners of this podcast um who were telling me about it um you know before i ever even knew who will levis was um and i think he was telling people about it because the more attention this kid could get the better they might be able to recruit um you know in the future get yourselves an nfl player or that this quarterback coach Maybe he wasn't a quarterback. I don't know. I have to go look. All I know is that he has a long list of jobs and they all last one year. They don't last more than one year, which can, he is not that high demand. I think it's that maybe he doesn't work well with others. I don't know. But the, you know, that's what I'm told is that that's a symptom of that. He could just be that high in demand. But to me, if you are. How the fuck do you not correct the footwork of a guy who looks like a Pop Warner footwork on that? He's not even getting an NFL-worthy grade from me as a player. Like, his pocket presence is bad. Um, He does not move around the pocket extraordinarily well. He is inaccurate. He makes slow decisions. He's a slow processor. I hope he can work on all these things and get better and be really good um certainly he can throw the ball nicely in terms of velocity and distance and he looks the part um but he, he I had to squint really hard to get him to get him to the point that I did even in my grades and it's not a high grade uh, I, M- Malik Willis was not a high grade last year he was QB9 I think Malik Willis has a higher grade than Will Levis does for me um and so yeah to me he's unbelievably risky and if the indianapolis colts um draft him over anthony richardson they deserve to be the worst team in in football that's all i gotta say about that
1: <laughs> you know I, I i we've obviously seen will levison mock drafts and anytime i've gone i've gone on podcasts and i was, i have said i would take the bet of will Levis falling out of the first round was like well though you would get gods i'm like i think that gms are just lying just yes. straight up lying to you about where, about how talented they believe Will Levis is because they're, every draft pick that you make, you are putting your job on the line. I, I, You cannot convince me that a front office would put their livelihoods on the line for Will Levis. You just can't convince me of that. So that's are there-
0: I, I was – are there like psychosyllabine type of mushrooms in, in Indianapolis that are growing just outside the offices and they're getting you, dosed? I don't know. Probably not. Well,
1: you know what? The, 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 maybe it's a, an owner call. If it's a Jim it Israe making, making a unilateral decision or yeah. some owner like that, then I could see it. But, you know. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so who's your other one?
1: My other my other one is is, is uh, Quentin Johnston. So riskier than the buzz. I mean, I and I haven't been paying attention to the community. I think we still generally have this guy as a potential top fifteen. And and that's the question about risk because, you know, the high capital invested player, the higher the draft capital, then the larger the risk that team is taking on. From a- financial perspective, from a playing-time player development perspective. So these guys are, are go- going to be guys that are, you know, uh, highly regarded. Quentin Johnson is one of those guys. Um, there's a question about whether or not he can consistent. is he this alpha? Is he an alpha w- wide receiver? We see the size and the, the athleticism. Is he a next guy when, you know, he doesn't always catch the ball consistently? You can even, I mean, his last season at at, uh, at TCU, he wasn't. Uh, consistent from a, a game-to-game basis now so I, I think that there is some risk there for example if he's taken by Chicago even like before Chicago had DJ Moore like if he was taken by Chicago to be that DJ Moore type player I mean I would kind of question that that being said with his consistent inconsistency catching the ball I think that he does offset that risk a bit by his ability to make plays after the catch these players can be you know really easy to design play plays for i always think of um uh demarius thomas in 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 denver you know uh, you you got a lot of peyton manning touchdowns just Throwing the jailbreak out there to DeMarious Thomas, and then he's running up the sideline. You know, as they develop other parts of their game, let's do these two or three things that you are good at and that are easy to scheme. But that being said, is we talked about bullies um, uh, earlier, I think that some could see Quentin Johnson look at his his size and his athleticism and maybe perceive him to be that. And I don't know that he's going to walk into the NFL and be that. See, I, he's on my list too. I could
0: totally agree with you about Quentin Johnston. And part of it is is this is that now you brought up Demarius Thomas and I think that's a great example because one of the probably the worst miss I had as a wide on a wide receiver who did better than I thought was Demarius Thomas. Um and when I look at now from what I learned from that lesson, I'll put it to you this way if I hadn't learned my lesson, Quentin Johnston would not even have a um would not even be in my first two tiers if i hadn't learned my lesson okay if if you now here's where i'm at now where i'm at now is that quinton johnston um is working on his technique you can see that he's trying to use the correct hands positions for certain attacks on a lot of routes where beforehand he would just invariably go for the, the the underhand position that he shouldn't go for or clapping onto the ball. Now, he doesn't look completely comfortable catching it when he's catching it. He's still making the catch, but it looks like he's doing some math. He fights the ball a little bit. He has trouble bringing it in all the time in those scenarios when he does it. And he still defaults to clapping the football using underhand technique when he's going up to attack targets that he should attack at its earliest point against tight coverage and I watch this over and over again this year and think that's not an alpha receiver in terms of that's Gabriel Davis like that's what Gabriel Davis does and he'll make some big plays if you throw it to him enough but he'll also drop enough balls that people are kind of waking up to the idea that it's like okay we live with the good and the bad and a lot of analytics people will tell you drops don't really matter all that much um they don't matter all that much if they're focus drops if you ask me you know we i had this discussion with Wayne mcfarland this weekend a little bit because we we're having this conversation and and my theory that i that that he was kind of listening to and going i could see that's interesting is that is that focus drops like brandon marshall terrell owens you're in a hurry to get get downfield to catch the ball and you drop it you're going to live with those, knowing that they're going to make the big play when it comes time. But if you have to scheme plays open to get a, or scheme a guy open to to get him an opportunity to make a free catch at a ball, because you, you can't have him, you know, if you have him in a tight situation, it's really you don't know whether he's going to win that ball or not. And there were a lot of plays that Max Dugan should have gotten a lot more credit for what he did to get the ball to Quentin Johnston only for him to drop it. I mean, just like frustratingly so. Um, so if Quentin Johnston fixes these things, he's he's easily the number one receiver in this class, if you ask me. As a route runner, with his size, with his speed, with what he can do to break tackles, he's a pretty he's a good enough route runner that I think he that he could be the number one guy. but where I have him right now, he's kind of He's the guy who he's trying to fix it. Still doesn't look quite comfortable doing it. Not sure if he ever will. um, But he's good enough to still give you production in a role where he's not asked to be the guy. Um, But he will give you points like he's the guy when he has a good week. Um, He's not as bad as Robert Meacham, but I remember Robert Meacham at, at Tennessee. And when I studied him, I remember the first half against LSU on a CBS 330 game. First half, he was dropping balls left and right because he was trying to catch it the right way because he knew he was trying to learn and it looked like he was doing math. And then he just said, screw it. Second half caught everything in sight. Everything was clap trapping and and you know clap attacks and, and he played well, but once he got to New Orleans, couldn't catch the ball, couldn't hold on to it. And when you have Drew Brees, you have no excuse. Um, so he had, a, he had a couple of decent seasons, but nowhere near the, the, the draft capital that he was worth. So, yeah, Quentin Johnson's that guy. The other guy who fits that description as a clap attacker, a serial clap attacker, to the point that there's only one clap attacker I've seen who's been a number one caliber receiver for his team since I've been doing this, and that's Terry McLaurin, it is Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati. Tyler Scott is a serial clap attacker and he makes the tough catches. But if I'm going to go by, you know, past history and say chance of improvement to, to do it the right way, or even the chance of, how about chance of being as successful doing it the way that he does the wrong way. There's only one guy I've seen do that. And that's Terry McLaurin. So I'd rather be wrong looking at history than than right saying, well, Tyler Scott's going to be that exception. I think he can be a helpful player but I don't, I'm not in on the, I think he's a lot riskier than, than a top, you know top five, top seven receiver in this class. I don't know if he's getting that kind of love but it seems like he's getting first round, second round kind of thoughts and I don't know if he's there, man. So, so how about guys who changed your mind? And, and if you want to talk about Scott, by all means, but who, after you do, who, yeah. who, who's, who's changed your mind?
1: Uh, Hank Hooker. Yeah. Hank Hooker coming from Virginia Tech to Tennessee, you know, Art Art Brial system, which is what they run at Tennessee, is where they align these wide receivers uh, out even outside of the numbers they might have two wide receivers outside of the number they really utilize the um the space created by the wider hashes in college that's kind of what art bryal system exploits it it can create some easy throws but it can create some long difficult throws too and you know at virginia tech um hendon hooker to me was like more of a like an athlete than a pure quarterback. But at Tennessee, especially this year, and after Hendon Hooker was not the starter at first, it was Joe Milton there at Tennessee. And I just didn't realize that he could be this drop back passer who could throw these high arching touchdown passes, these deep breaking timing routes to the field, to the field, mind you. It's a long, long throw um, that he could be this this guy and i i don't i don't know if i see him as a, a franchise quarterback because that offense is i don't want to call it gimmicky but you can't replicate that offense uh at at the NFL level but he he showed the ability to make throws in parts of the field that i just didn't think that he had the ability to 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 do so um so it's definitely Hendon hooker where I didn't think he was the NFL quarterback at all. I'm like, okay. Yeah. This year it showed, he showed me that he has some, some talent, some, he could place the ball. Definitely the, you know, the over the shoulder, uh, pass, but quite frankly, I mean, Bryce Petty p- played in this same offense. So, uh, you know, the, if you remember Bryce Petty coming oh, from, 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 from Baylor. So I'm a little skeptical, but he has changed my mind from what I thought he was coming from, uh, from Virginia Tech to to Tennessee, so that's and, and to be honest, well, so that's my my other one, and then Jalen Hyatt is the is the other one. Um, both of these guys playing the same offense. This is kind of like the the opposite way, where watching this guy, I'm like, I don't. Uh, this is another guy that we we're saying that has first round potential, and I'm like, I see someone who is kind of schemed open because of how they use the width of the field side uh, on that offense. I mean, they really, again, they exploit that space. And I don't know that he's going to have that much space at the NFL level. I don't know that um, his, uh, you know, his trump card trade is allegedly his his speed, which we knew about coming in. He came, He's he's from the South Carolina, South North Carolina area. And we knew about his speed going in. Um, but I I don't see him making plays that I see, you know, the, like John Ross level speed uh, or, or Ted Ginn. Those are the guys who were, were taken because of their speed. I don't know that he's even really that type of field stretcher. I think he's, you know, a product of, again, this Art Bryles, this Art Bryles system. So, um. That's in a, in, in a more of a net. As a matter of fact, I traded Jalen Hyatt in a campus to Canton league knowing that he was projected for the Jap capital for, for Barry and Brown, a, a sophomore wide receiver at Kentucky. So that that gives you a sense of how I feel about him. Um, so, so he would be the one who's changed my mind, kind of the opposite direction uh, where I'm like, I'm just not sure. I think this guy is Cor- – Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman played in the same – the same yep. offense at, at 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 Baylor so that'd be those I, those are my guys.
0: I love those two picks. Um you know, yeah. I I have um Hendon Hooker as a on the cusp between a contributor level player who can play at a starting level in a scheme that's really suited to his talents and probably has a lot of surrounding talent to aid him um right now. But to me that's a where he's at is around where I had Zach Wilson two years ago um, around that tier um, and at the bottom and at the top of the reserve tier. To me, the big thing with him is that confidence of identification to action, that processing speed. I I don't think it's there with his game um, because when I've seen him have to make throws where he's had to process fast, um, he, he hesitates, um, you know. And when I look he's a stiff athlete too. When you really watch him, he's he's pretty stiff. He he's fast, he's strong, but he doesn't really have a lot of bend. Um and so when I look at him being this kind of two way athlete that people talk about, he's kind of a straightish line kind of straight line ish runner. And when I think of guys like that, I think of Marcus Mariota, Robert Griffin the third, um You know, guys who were their their athletic ability was hyped, but was it really functional on the level that that they were claiming it to be? And I have questions about that. I would have put Jalen Hyatt up here if I had room for a fourth too, because I've never seen him make a contested catch. Um, So, and if he can, then he may very well be worthy of the buzz. But until he shows it, I, I mean, I've I've watched. I have access to pretty much everything I can possibly watch of of a player, and I didn't see it. I I, I didn't see him have a contested catch. On the I've seen him make back shoulder plays where the guy is not close to him, but I haven't seen a true contested situation. So my three are Michael Mayer, who I talked about earlier. Who you know I, you know I got I got nine shrimp instead of ten. So again, still you have nine shrimp that's good Jonathan Mingo changed my mind um when I first watched him I thought about guys like Dontario Drummond and and players who were in his system at Ole Miss where okay he can block he can run some basic routes against zone he can run after the catch and then I saw him featured more outside I saw him featured more downfield and how he could manipulate players um I saw more speed, um, the physicality with his game as a runner after the catch, also as a wing back, and now he could block. And while I don't think he's as good as either of these players, he's a combination stylistically of A.J. Brown and, and Anquan Bolden. And I think that there's enough athletic ability in the tank and enough baseline skills with him that he could be, I'm, I'm um, enthusiastic about him. He's not in my top 10. Um, at, of wide receivers but he could be if you ask me with all the guys who are clapping on the ball clap attacking these targets there's there's going to be a lot of landmines under a lot of these receivers in the second tier of my my rankings and Jonathan Mingo's the guy I think is doesn't have a landmine under his feet and he may be standing there with you know with with a tattered jersey on from the explosions around him on uh, you know in his tear, um, but he's more than sturdy enough to be able to handle it. And then the guy who changed my mind, um, and you know, I, I feel bad because I'm going to say this. And and Felix is and and Felix gotta kind of feel like well didn't we do a show on him didn't I show you enough that like didn't I show you enough that this guy was like really good and and you know and that's Jameer Gibbs um, Jameer Gibbs definitely changed my mind the more we did this and Felix is doing fist pumps and taking a victory laugh on this one because he did we did a show a couple years ago with him and he was really you know he was really good. But I've always been, I always like to approach guys like th- him with a level of caution. Um, and I started it as more of like, and so when I said earlier this year, he reminds me of Justin Jackson, but I really like Justin Jackson. You thought, you know, Felix felt like I stabbed him, you know, or I or i hit him in the liver, gave him a liver shot or something, you know, but like the more I watched Gibbs, and the more I saw how quick his feet were, how good he is as a receiver and really what he's going to do well in space, as well as what he does between the tackles. He's not, you know, he's not the toughest guy between the tackles, but he's more than functional um, in that respect. If, you know, to me, he's a, he's, he's a step up from Deandre Swift. Like I, you know, I like DeAndre Swift all right, but I don't think DeAndre Swift is as good as people make him out to be. I think Jameer Gibbs is what people th- think when they look at DeAndre Swift. What they actually are, what what they see in their mind, not on the field, is what they imagine what Jir- G- Jameer Gibbs is going to do. And if I were to give you a comp for Jameer Gibbs, I joke that I have him between two falks. You know, at very worst, if I'm completely wrong about him. He's more like Kevin Falk, a, you know, a trusty, handy, wide, you know, you know, situational receiver who can give you some starter skills and be really versatile, um, but may spend his career being a a space guy. Um, but in this, today's game, Kevin Falk might've been a lot more, um, statistically, but the guy that, the guy that he's closer to between those two Foxes, is Marshall Falk. I think that, you know, Marshall Falk is a, was not an unbelievably powerful guy but when you look at their feet much different you know and when people compare Jameer Gibbs to Alvin Kamara that was part of it too when I started hearing people say Jameer Gibbs is the next coming of Alvin Kamara I'm going I'm like no just shut up just shut up like I mean there's people I respect saying that and I'm saying it playfully when I say just shut up you know but like it's because we all see different things but you know, the you, you know, Alvin Kamara has otherworldly contact balance. I still have Saints fans passing around Twitter videos I've done from three, four years ago where Alvin Kamara does things that look impossible. Jameer Gibbs never on a, the best day in his life has had a contact balance moment that Alvin Kamara has at least once a year as a Saint. Um, but neither did Marshall Falk for that matter. But if Jameer Gibbs. Is allowed to play in an offense as a receiver the way that they allowed Marshall Falk to. He could grow, maybe not. Maybe he will be as good as Falk on that level. I don't think he, I don't think the confluence of factors will be there for that to happen or to bet on it. But Jameer Gibbs is a is a really good player, and he's the number two running back on my board. Um, and it just took a while for me to to really see enough and to be uh, methodical about it to come
1: around. I tried. To, I tried to tell you. You did. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. Um, you did. Yeah. I mean, I think that this guy is, and I, I've I've tweeted this. I think that this guy is the next player who could have a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving. I really do. If he ends up, you know, we've seen we've seen um, Andy Reid do this a couple of times. We see, we saw him do it with Brian Westbrook. We saw him try to do it with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Try just try one more time, Andy. Right. Try one more time yeah. with Jameer Gibbs because if he finds himself in a situation like that. Just picture picture this. You know, schematically, you're an empty set, you've got Jameer Gibbs lined up outside, and then you motion him into the backfield, one, so that your quarterback can identify man or zone. And two, maybe now that you've moved him into the backfield, you've got the numbers game. Like, I just think that he he could present so many problems for a defensive coordinator because he can legitimately play outside at wide receiver. Are you going to have a cornerback guard him? Are you going to have a linebacker guard him? I mean, seriously, if he's in the back, if he starts in the backfield and then goes out wide, are you going to have? Are you going to have whomever go out to some linebacker, some middle outside linebacker guard him? No, good luck, good luck. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 199 pounds. I don't care. I really, I really don't care. Um uh Jamal Charles was I mean, two hundred pounds.
0: What do you want to say? You know, Marshall you Falk, go. was he was he two twenty, I think? No, I think he was one ninety five, two hundred, two hundred and five, probably. As he got older, two ten, but seriously, yeah.
1: yeah. But this is what campus can't leave Jameer Gibbs, I think, was the like the twelfth or the fourteenth running back in his class and I'm watch, watching this guy. I mean we when we did the video, I even showed you some of his clips from high school where I'm like, this guy's just like gliding around yep. these Georgia high school defenses and guys can't cut catch him and he's got good controlled acceleration. Um but I remember his first uh uh his first game he was out with an injury his the second game that Georgia Tech had that season was against uh, UCF in the very first play that, George, that Jameer Gibbs touched the ball, he almost took the ball uh, uh, back for a touchdown on a kickoff return. I think that he's going to go into an offense. You could probably use him on kickoff returns just to to start. You know, Adrian Peterson did it. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew uh, uh, did it right off the bat. I think he could do that. I think he's probably, you know, if you have a smart offensive coordinator, this guy's going to catch – 60 70 balls, you know. At some point, uh, maybe uh, more uh, for your team. Maybe a hundred. I legitimately think that that is an option that he could. I mean, I, I, this, I've been on a record for a long time saying yeah. this about this about this guy. So, um,
0: hey, yeah, you, I mean, you know, only- you were right about him. He's, you know, he was. You were right to want to feature him. You're right to be talking about him all these years. He's a he's a fantastic player, and it's and um. It's nice to be able to come around on him and and see him for what he is and what he can be
1: yeah well, so he I mean, he's obviously one of my the favorites in this class along with Anthony Richardson who, who we've talked about along with Jake I mean to Trent to transition to that question yeah three, my three favorites it's no secret. Like it's no secret the guys that that I've liked. I think I've talked about them at length on this show, uh, and, and, and other shows. And it's I mean and it's always a quote. I I we we go into draft class like next year, next year, even if you're a casual college football fan, you know that Caleb Williams is at the top of that class. It's not interesting to me to talk about Caleb Williams anymore because everyone knows him. like it's interesting to go find next Anthony Richardson, the next Jameer Gibbs, the next Ramondre Steven, the next and Wolves, go find those guys. This is why I love, you know, this evaluation thing because uh, it's an Easter egg hunt. And Jameer Gibbs has been one of those, one of those Easter eggs. For Anthony sure. Richardson, Jake Hader—I think that those guys have been Easter eggs for me.
0: I love it. Now I would, you know, I've talked enough about Anthony Richardson, Tajay Spears, and I haven't <laughs> talked about Dalton Kincaid much. But to me, there are three obvious guys that are three faves. So I'm not going there. I want to go a little deeper beyond that. Um, Sam Laporta, Iowa tight end. I think he's. I think he's everything that Evan Ingram is, except that he doesn't drop the ball like Evan Ingram did early in his career um, and have concentration issues. I think Sam Laporta is one of the sneaky best tight ends in this class. Um, he is. He is in dimensions, in athletic ability, ability to run routes, skill after the catch, cutting ability, toughness, smarts. Um he's everything people hoped Evan Ingram would be. And Evan Ingram's starting to show now that he's you know, kind of had the light come on, you know, in Jacksonville. But Sam Laporta, I'm a big fan of Jaden Reed, Michigan State. I'm a I'm a big Jaden Reed fan. Um, he has got... He's got some issues with hands that got to be a little better. He has, you know... But he makes all the tough catches. I think some of the things he does are more concentrate-oriented, concentration-oriented. I think he matches up well. He can play all three positions. I think he's much closer to being Stefan Diggs than people may realize. Um, and I'm I'm a huge fan of Jaden Reed. Um, and then... I, I'm starting to think that this whole recruiting thing with Zach Evans... Is, is more smoke than fire um, because, okay, we know about Jake Zach Evans in the sense that he had this quixotic journey getting recruited and that he originally wanted to go to Georgia then he changed his mind and then there were like a zillion different schools linked to him and then his stars dropped from being a five star to like a three star and then he wound up with Gary Patterson a disciplinarian as a recruiter and then he wound up an old miss after that and so people associate all that and go he's an immature kid who had run-ins with his college and which is high school coaches and then they said he's a great kid but they covered up for him um probably that's what people are making out to be and then why did he leave tcu after tcu you know the year before tcu ended up going to the national championship game um that looks bad and Kendra Miller's there and Kendra Miller's a darn good prospect. He obviously got run out. All these narratives. And then when I started peeling back the layers it was like okay he was a good student in high school the one guiding force in his life was his grandfather. The year before he started recruit getting recruited his grandfather died and he took on his recruiting with no real guidance from family. So you're a star quarter, you're a star running back, no real guidance, national stuff, and now you start changing your mind on where you want to go and what you want to do. And you're a smart kid. So smart kids, even when they're immature, tend to overthink things. So he probably was a victim of overthinking a lot of things. Goes to, ends up going, you know, the reason that he got disciplined at in school, the biggest disciplinary issue that he had was and it was a biggie because he missed his championship game. He missed his high school championship game. He was suspended for it. The reason he was suspended for it is that the night before he wouldn't give up his cell phone. That was a rule and he wouldn't do that. Now, again, you, you've you lost the person that is your biggest foundation the year before and you're going through a whirlwind recruiting that you're handling on your own. No guidance really from family and your family may not have been um, from what I've gathered I'm not saying this is a fact but from what I gathered maybe your family you didn't have much of a support system after that and the people that you normally would rely on maybe because it was your grandparent that you were relying on that maybe your parents weren't someone you all together trusted or maybe they had a little more drama or you know in their lives and you're dealing with that and maybe you made the wrong call I don't know but to me that's different than your you assaulted somebody or you were doing drugs or you were cheating or you're doing anything other than you just were immature enough to not want to give up your cell phone, which may have been, there was maybe a special circumstance, whatever it was, the coaches seem okay with them. Then he got on, then I believe he maintained a 3.5 average at TCU. Um It was on academic honor roll as an academic athlete, Um played well, didn't get out touched by Kendra Miller until, you know, he he got banged up a little bit um and still was like very productive while he was there they just gave him less touches and there were 30 players that gary patterson basically said this time last year that they thought they were about to lose if tcl didn't get their nil deals together and one of them was zach evans you know so 30 players 30. so did did any of those 30 players who were thinking about leaving, that he was worried about leaving. Do you think any of them were thinking about national championship designs? Did they? Did anybody this time last year think TCU was gonna have a shot to, to play in this game? I think the answer was absolutely not. Um, so for me, I look at all of that and go, maybe people are glossing over some things with Zach Evans and painting him in a way that may not be fair. And what I will say is when you watch him on the field, um, I... good pass protector, like physical pass protector, smart runner. I don't know what the questions are about his vision because when I watch it, I've done a whole YouTube uh, or a whole Twitter feed of like the decision making that he has. It's mature, It's he's, he's creative within the, the bounds of what can happen. He understands his blocking schemes um he doesn't make silly cutbacks he he makes logical decisions and he's tough for his size and as noah hills has talked about and i'm going to have him on on a podcast in the within the next week and we're going to talk more on running backs and we're going to talk about evans you know he, he's going to give his theories i'm sure about Zach Evans' smart way guy. to the combine. Smart guy. Noah yeah. is a smart guy. Yes, he is. And I'm looking forward to having him on um, for the first time. So it's going to be great. But I'm a big fan of Zach Evans. I, to me, Zach Evans is the closest. Well, I won't say it. Zach Evans is, I haven't, I don't remember caring, comparing anybody to Clinton Portis in recent years as like a stylistic of a player who can do a little bit of everything really well and, and ha- does it at a high level. think zach evans is in that kind of uh conversation and if he's if he's not an immature kid and he is indeed just a smart good kid who just was a little lost for understandable reasons i mean i none of my kids would have been able to handle getting recruited at 18 years old by all these groups and they and they didn't have as good of grades as he probably did, you know, you know, none of them probably would have handled that as well as, as, as he did. And he didn't handle it well, you know, and I am I would imagine there are a lot of kids who, who wouldn't have either. So if, if he's, if he's more of a decent kid and a more mature kid than people realize, and I think he is, um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a better back. I don't, I don't think I would make the argument. I don't think there's a better back in this class, um, other than Bijan and and Jameer Gibbs. And I'm not sure it's that different in terms of like in terms of how I would score it. Like I would I would not be upset if you could tell me Zach Evans is going to be as good as I think he can be. I I would tell you to go ahead and take Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, and I and I would be happy with that as as you know the third guy off the board.
1: Well, I mean, Matt, I know you love the running back position and evaluating that position. You've come to this conclusion on Zach Evans and Noah Hills is the running back guy too and he is he is all he also loves Zach Evans. So, um, you know, the community seems to be a little bit down on him. I think because of his, you know, weigh-in and I don't know if he I don't know if he ran the 40. I stopped paying attention to the NFL combines. I don't know if he ran the for the 40 or anything, but um I mean, there are two guys that I really really respect who are saying who are kind of uh, flashing the warning lights and saying, "Hey, pay attention to Zach Evans." So I'll be interested to hear um, uh, your conversation, your conversation with Noah.
0: Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to doing that, and it's going to be—I think it will be a week from Monday that I think we're going to be we're going to be doing that show, um, and so that should be good. It's either this Monday or a week from Monday. I don't remember just yet because I'm I'm wrapping up the RSP and and the dates are flying by. To, so I'm just writing them down and forgetting about them. But you can get your RSP at mattwaldman.com, 2195 Been doing it for 18 years, 150 prospects at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver position. Um, you know, fantasy beloved, you know, I would say fantasy beloved and football approved in terms of the type of clientele that I have who, um, who purchase the book every year. Um, I promise you that you will be pleasantly shocked by what you get from it. If you look at, if you haven't done it before, most of the people who get it are just repeat customers after that point because they realize that they're stealing from me. Um, And I'm willfully letting that happen in terms of what the price is for what you get. Um, You can go to the site to find out more. You can see the the testimonials, you can see videos with it. And of course, listen, head over to campusdecanton.com join a campus to Canton league. It is going to be a blast to do. And anything
1: you want to say about
0: c to c please do.
1: Yes. Uh, we want to support you, Matt, uh, in the work that you do. So we, I want to thank Marcus Harvey for reaching out. Um, if you are interested in trying a campus to Canton league, trying our content to help you in campus to Canton leagues, or even your NFL draft research, uh, we are we are uh purchasing your subscri- your copy of the 2023 rsp all you have to do is go to campston.com buy a yearly nil subscription dm me your proof of purchase and we will buy your copy of the rsp so thank you for the marcus harvey uh for for reaching out marcus is uh, is is in there so i wanted to make sure i should have said that at the beginning but we can say it here now at the
0: we're good we're it's absolutely good it's it's fun doing this podcast with you Felix and i and it made my night to see you celebrating over Jameer Gibbs um you know that was awesome um I now i now I can see where you were in your car when I was talking about Ramadre Stevenson about three years ago so that's awesome but on behalf of Felix and myself you know we appreciate you tuning in and we'll be on in a couple weeks again to talk a little bit more about um you know about ball and evaluation and the upcoming season as well as the NFL Draft. You guys take care. See you soon.